Hey guys, it's Marsha Hoffines, and you are listening to the Storytellers Podcast, where we dig in, go deep, find ourselves, maybe cry, maybe laugh. We surrender, but we go home, and we go home big. We feel inspired. It's the story behind the cellophane. It's the story inside the truth. It's a story that most people don't want to tell, but we're here to share. Let's get started. Well, hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, I hope you're all doing well, and summer is proving to be a little bit of a lighter um, season for you. Since the last time we talked, there's been a lot of, gosh, just heaviness in the world, and a lot of um, a lot of us are taking step backs and looking at our lives and questioning our humanity and questioning you know, are we doing enough and are we showing up? And I just want to encourage each and every one of you to continue to do the good work, to continue to study and turn in and to have some real conversations and get yourself, let yourself get a little uncomfortable and just keep seeing where we can grow and we can be better and we can keep moving forward together. So today um, I'm back with an interview, which I'm really excited about. This is Chris Good. I actually met Chris in a beautiful um, Facebook group that I'm in. And, you know, we just connected very um, authentically, which I think somebody asked about a podcast, if anybody had podcasts on healing and storytelling. And I was like, I do. And the next thing I know, I, I had a, uh, an inquiry from Chris. So I'm really excited to be here with you today. Um, Chris is a results coach and he lives out in Los Angeles, California, and he works with um, men and women. Yeah. You work with yes, men, yeah, men, and men, women. And, men and women to gain clarity and confidence and to help them get out of the place of being stuck and frustrated. And so he and I share that together as many of you guys know, um, in addition, in, in addition to being uh, a yoga professional. I have a coaching business as well. And I focus on women and mindset and helping them step into um, the greatest, their greatest potential by getting rid of their limiting beliefs. So we are aligned and um, we've had a great time connecting, uh, preparing for today's talk. And I'm really, you know, excited. Sounds like a strange word to use when I'm about to introduce the topics that we're going to talk about. But the reason I am um, is as if you've been following along, you know that we oftentimes just see the glossy picture and we might get tidbits of information from people. But why I'm excited about it is because I talk about going and hitting rock bottom a lot and everyone's gonna have a different rock bottom and then you can rise up from this place. You know, with my personal journey, it was almost dying a couple years ago, well, six now, um, bankruptcy and a myriad of other things that um, just brought my husband and I to our knees. And Chris is going to take us on a journey of um, growing up with a mother with addiction, being in foster care, in and out of foster care, and a mental breakdown that changed his life about three years ago. So sit back, grab your coffee, put your headphones in and just get ready for some inspiring healing conversation that we're about to have with Chris. Thanks so much for being here to me with me today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to share my uh, story with your audience. And 
I hope that uh, the the wisdom and the understanding that I've acquired through these experiences extends to the people listening and um, that they're blessed uh, by the lessons that I've, I've learned through these things. So, yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about um, where your life started. Where did you grow up? Um, what's your family? What's like, what's the family made up of brothers, sisters, dogs, cats, you know, all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have a, I have a pretty large family, you could say. So my, my dad, he was 20 years older than my mother uh, when I was born. So he's, I believe, 50, yeah, 57 years old uh, when I was born. Uh, so he's 87 now. Um, and uh, my, my mom, um, she was like, bri- like kind of briefly in my life for the first few years. Uh, and then it just, she kind of was just this distant parental figure. But I have a one full brother. I've got two half sisters and two half, uh, half brothers. And the sisters are from my mom's side with the husband she had before. The brothers are from my dad's side from the wife that he had before. So, um, you know, it's just a really big mixed family. I, I'm closest with my my full brother who's 11 months younger than me mm-hmm. um and uh and my and my half sister uh who's about 10 years older than me so it's just uh it's in the interesting dynamic of all of that yeah i grew up in a big family there's seven of us and mm-hmm. our age span is uh 52 to 30 if i've got that right something along those lines I do, I have a half brother. So my parents, uh, after having my brother and my sister who were older than me, uh, divorced, actually, my dad got remarried and had a son. And then my dad came back to my mom and a year later they had me. So it's interesting dynamics when you've got a large (laughs) family and then you've got some, but we're, you know, in large families, as you kind of just pointed out, like some of you are close, some of you aren't. It just, yeah. Yeah. Where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up on the East Coast uh, in Maryland, um, and I lived in Maryland for a few years and then um, spent, like, part of my life in in West Virginia, like, a decent part of my life. Okay. So I'm in Northern Virginia. I don't know if we've connected on that part yet. I'm in Leesburg, so just outside. I used to work in Ashburn, Virginia. Oh, where? Yeah, uh, at GNC. Okay. Well, there you go. Small world, small world. How long have you been in 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 North Carolina, in LA? I don't know. In LA, (laughs) North Carolina, Uh, LA. I don't know. Makes whatever. Stay close, though. Just kidding. (laughs) Warm. It's warm. Um, Yeah. Um, I've lived in LA for it's it's going on five years now. Um, I moved out here to do modeling and acting and. I think just that that whole process completely turned my world upside down in a very good way. Um, it wasn't good. Like the things I went through wasn't <laughs> the best, but um, the the end product was good. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So what um, what got you out there? Just to, be an, uh, just to be an actor and just to pursue your dream of acting and modeling and all that great stuff? Yeah. So, um, essentially that, I mean, I was, uh, kind of in, I guess a space, you know, it's your, I was in my twenties and stuff. And so I was really, especially mid twenties, like figuring out like, what am I going to do? Who do I want to be? Like, I was really into 
health and fitness and stuff. So I worked a lot in supplement shops and gyms. And I uh, remember like working at a, a supplement um, store, I think it was called Vitamin World. And uh, these two like teen girls just walking through the mall, like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, what, what do you mean? I'm, I'm working. I was, it was just this funny interaction. They're like, you need to quit now and be a model. And I was like, really? I had this really low <laughs> sense. I really, I had a really poor like self image. And, um, I, and I just, uh, I had a hard time seeing myself in a, in the, in a good light, just based on like the things that I experienced when I was younger. Yeah. And I was working through that process of changing that. But, um, I don't know. At that time, when I heard that, I was like, oh, "These people think I could do something. Uh, you know, I could do. I could be something." I was like, "That's interesting." So I, uh, it got me into the whole modeling and acting thing. And the next thing uh, I knew, especially when I was doing acting, it's like driving to Columbus, Ohio, New York City, and Baltimore, uh, Maryland, and all over the place. It's like I need to move somewhere where this is just at and it was between new york and la and i was like i don't like the cold so yeah you know, new york city yeah so so low self-esteem not really believing yourself you said something really interesting you said oh these people see something in me that i can be something so clearly there was a belief there um that you probably weren't really going to be much at, in your life yeah yeah i think um it was one of those things where I could intellectually assent. I could like, I could say verbally, like, you know, I can, I can do this, but it was a belief that I hadn't embodied. Um, and so my experience from life gave me this impression that I really wasn't, you know, I was probably going to end up being like another statistic, like foster children certainly don't have the best odds against them when, uh, when you see like, you know, their chances of ending up with substance abuse or mm -hmm. uh, ending in prison or homeless. And it's, it's terribly unfortunate. And I think just uh, the pain I had experienced as like, well, it's probably inevitable that I'm just going to continue to experience more emotional pain throughout yes. the rest of my life. Yeah. So my limiting belief and my abilities came at me in a very different way. I had teachers basically tell me I wasn't going to amount to anything in my life mm. because I was a piss poor student. I mean, I'll admit it. I was not great at yeah. school, um, but yours come from a very deep place. Um, you know, more maternal roots, uh, space. So take us back in time and tell us when a lot of this started for you, this, you know, if you could, if you could, look back and go, I understand now, which I think you can, where a lot of patterns, where a lot of thought processes, and why now you're committed to helping people break through those barriers for themselves. Where did this all start for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so really, I think my mom was probably the biggest influence in terms of uh, uh, creating this um, desire to help other people, which ultimately came from a desire to help myself. Mm. So I, I remember being very young, probably like three or four years old. And, um, you know, she was, she would hang out with like some really just shady people. Like, uh, I, and I didn't know as a kid, you know, you're, you're that young, you're, the world's still very much innocent to you. 
uh, and you're still trying to understand like what's safe, what's dangerous. Um, you might not even know what's, you know, is there anything that's dangerous when you're a three-year-old? Uh, <laughs> but we, we get, we get older and we're just like, yeah. Yeah, there definitely is. <laughs> definitely still dangerous when you're three. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, you know, I just, I think one of the, the first times where my mom critically let me down uh, was, I must have, it, it was like probably three years old or something, three or four, and my, uh, she told me like, hey, I'm, I, I've got to go. She'd always go off to Baltimore or, or D.C., and I didn't understand why. Um, now I do. It, it, unfortunately, it was so she could go get, get drugs and um, she had a serious heroin addiction. Uh, but I was just like, I was so perplexed. I'm like, don't go, mom. Like, don't leave me. And I'm just like, this, this young kid just crying my eyes out. And I was like, can we at least go to like 7-Eleven and get a Slurpee? Like, give me right. some sugar so I feel better. And, right. <laughs> and right. she's like, yeah, sure. I was like, so like, can you like, you know, you like, can we go there? And, um, she gave me this impression that she was going to meet my brother and I there. So I grabbed my brother who's younger than me and we walk for probably like, uh, a mile or two as that young, um, yeah. to the Seven Eleven, And I just remember like, you know, it's, it's kind of bizarre to think about like if I saw two young children just walking by themselves out in the middle of nowhere, I would have like been freaking out. Yeah. Uh, Cause I'm just like, what is this? And um, I remember just standing in front of the Seven Eleven, I'm like looking for my mom, like mom, like trying to find her. And you know, the, this police officer, thank, thankfully, like, thank God uh, he ended up um, like pulling into the Seven Eleven, and he's like, Hey, you know, where's your, you know, where's your parents? you know, kids. And I'm just like, I'm waiting for my mom. My mom's supposed to meet me here. Mm. And let's just say it, it didn't end so well for anybody. My, my dad ended up spending a night in um, like a jail and uh, my grandparents had to come and take care of uh, my, my brother and I. And it was just a very weird experience. And then it just kind of became more evident of like how much my mom would just let me down in the sense she'd she'd be going and she, like she'd she'd never be home she'd always be out and then eventually it would go from like leaving to being in 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 prison because she got in trouble with either some sort of drug related issue or something of that nature and that caused me a lot of pain because I it was it was very difficult to reconcile. Um, the fact that on one hand, my mom was this very loving and compassionate person, but on the other hand, she was never there. Um, and as I got older, I started to understand just what drug addiction can do and the vice uh, that it is and how harmful it is. And even with people who have the best intentions and wish the best and, and they could have some qualities about themselves that are very amazing and admirable and um, stuff that you would want to emulate in your own life. Uh, she was imprisoned by this addiction of hers. And um, it was just, it took me a long time to really come to terms with that. And it really, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so uh, it just took me a long time to really come to terms with that. And I 
eventually that led into me going into foster care around the age of nine. Uh, what ended up happening there was, um, uh, like at this point, my family had moved down to Florida and my mom managed to make her way back into the house. And apparently my mom and my dad had gotten into some sort of fight, some sort of, um, I don't know, like mom says, dad hit her. Dad's like, no, I didn't. But it doesn't matter because dad ended up in jail for a few days. And um, my mom, uh, she ended up getting alcohol poisoning that night. And so I'm nine years old. And the next thing I know, I have social services and knock on the door like, hey, uh, we just got a couple questions to ask you you know, where are your parents? Like what's going on? And I was, I was, I put on my best lying face possible. Right. <laughs> I was like, right. You were my trying to good. protect them. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, my parents are good. They don't do anything wrong. I don't know what mm-hmm. you're talking about. They should be back at any moment. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, it's just, you know, it, I, if I saw a little me, I would just like give myself a hug because oh. what a, yeah, it's just, it's just a tough place to, to be in. And, um, you know, still, like, even at that age, you're still understanding the world. And um, I just, you know, it seemed like, you know, my, from my parents arguing to my mom not being there, I got this impression that things were just really not, like, life wasn't a very fun experience. It was really painful. And um, I ended up, uh, I ended up, um, do you still hear me? Sorry about that. Um, I ended up uh, finding myself um, in the foster care system for the following three years. And thankfully, what ended up, uh, there was some times where I spent time with family, but um, it was, uh, I, thankfully, I made it through that experience, but I'll say it was one of the most daunting things I've ever gone through in my life. The first six months, I just was, I, I was crying every single night I ended up uh, moving into this uh, the first home was like a middle-class Caucasian family the second home was uh, um, you know it's really wonderful Puerto Rican family but from they were it was such a culturally different environment for me so now it wasn't just me away from my family it was me and this whole different foreign world yeah and it was uh, it was just tough yeah, and you said something earlier, I, and, and I'm, like, sitting here, like, fighting back tears, because I, um, there's, there's so much of what you're, just what you're verbally expressing that I know that I felt in my own childhood for totally different reasons, which is remarkable, but the, the just that connection that you can have with someone two totally different life situations. But you said something about your mom and being in prison. And I think that's, that's an interesting yet very beautiful way to articulate addiction, right? They Mm -hmm. become imprisoned inside of themselves. Like they, don't know how to break free and get out of the cell that they're living in. And, and I, and you, you, you know, you said that she had these beautiful qualities and as a child, like you just loved that person, right? You loved, it was your mom. And to 
try to understand and wrap your head around the pain that she was living in, right? Always. Mm -hmm. And as a mom, I'm trying to think about, you know, me and my daughters. And if I just being so confused inside myself, like I have found myself being so confused inside myself for totally different reasons. And I know in those moments in my life for those periods of time, I was not as present as I should have been with my children. Right. Mm -hmm. So something very simple and something very complex and just listening to you just talk about your mom. It's like, I can feel the love that you had for her and that you have mm -hmm. for her. Right. And this experience yeah. that you went through and, ending up in foster care. Did you end up in foster care with your brother or were you separated? Um, I ended up in foster care, fortunately with my brother. And because we were so close in age, we were I Irish twins, 11 yes. months apart. And that was, so, that's very, very Irish twins. <laughs> <laughs> and because, because of that, like we, um, you know, we just, uh, we weren't taken apart and you know, what a, what a blessing that was to be. Yeah to be with my brother, brother through that experience, but definitely bring something to mind is, um, just being aware of like the, the guilt and the shame that my mother must have felt through yes. the entirety of, um, my, my life. Uh, and you know, I'm just, it's, it's tough. I, I remember one time, uh, being really, uh, it's probably like 92 or 93 and, um, like shortly after the the fall of the Soviet Union, and we had some uh, Russians who were in our apartment. I was friends with uh, friends with one of them, and I remember one time uh, my mom had she had passed out on the bathroom floor with a needle in her arm, and I had no idea what was going on, but I was freaking out. I was like, "Mom, mom, mom!" And I was like trying to open the door, and I was like hitting her in the head, and I was like, "That's not working." Uh, so I run upstairs, uh, and you know, I'm knocked on the door and, you know, these, they, they come down like, help me, my mom, she's in trouble, help, help, help. And, uh, they come down and, and just as we get to the bathroom, like, uh, she's getting up, she this needle in her arm and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy from the outside looking in, you know, it's like, I can, I can see like, you know, people can be very judgmental of that and stuff. And, um, that's understandable. But on the other end, like, you know, I just, I can, I can just imagine uh, the experience that she was having, especially, you know, after she, she comes down from the high, she comes down from the experience of, uh, of what she was feeling. And then to, to find herself in the space of a, a deep uh, a feeling of guilt and shame, you know, of like, you know, here's these people she doesn't even know witnessing her vice and, you know, her son, you know, like in these youthful, innocent eyes, just seeing something that she, you know, like she would probably rather the world not know. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Shame. Yeah. Shame. Oh, hmm. shame runs deep, right? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So this might be a pause moment. Is your mother still alive? No. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Unpause. <laughs> so you ended up finding your mom, getting help. She woke up. How, like, where was this in the timeline of you 
were you back at home after foster care? Were you? So this was um the, you know, sorry to do a little jumping back and no, forth, okay. but this is uh, this was back during my my younger years, pretty much when I was in like three three or four years old. Um, in that time frame, I'm probably, probably a little bit older, like four or five. I mm-hmm. uh, and um, yeah, you know that was just mm. it's tough. Yeah. So, how many how many foster fa- foster care families did you have? Let's see. Um, I was probably in like I don't know, cl- like heading close to a dozen different homes. So just um, watching you having to start count, I'm like, oh, it was a lot, and it was three years. Yeah. That's a short period of time. Yeah, it was. It was a very bizarre and unusual time for me. I mean, I just uh, like I was saying, six months into foster care, like I, when I got, especially when I got into the um, when I moved into the uh, Puerto Rican home. Um, you know, they were a wonderful family, uh, but it was just like I would. I think it was really starting to hit me that those uh, the stages of loss, and I was experiencing grief. Mm-hmm. And I remember I would just I would pray every night, like looking out the window, just look at the stars, and like God, please bring my mom and my dad back. Like, please come back to me. Like, bring everybody back together. Get me out of this place. I just crying my eyes out. And uh, the next thing. I realize is, you know, hitting six months into this experience of foster care, I just felt this sense of dread. Like it felt like a dark cloud just ascended over me. And I realized in the, at that time, based on just my perspective, I was like, nobody's coming back for me. Like nobody wants me. I was like, I was like, God's not even listening to me. My parents don't want me. And then I experienced uh, some, the, sh- the type of shame that really is uh, insidious. And it was like, I must have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like there's something wrong with me. That's why nobody wants me. Yeah. So when did you... You find, did you go back to your family after the three years? Was that like a time where you guys were able to come back together? Yeah. Or- so, well, um, there's, I'd say there's one more big event that happened mm. in there. Uh, okay. And then uh, that's worth mentioning. And that was uh, essentially, um, you know, I, I started like this depression that I experienced, like that would go on for about 18 years until I was able to like really kick it to the curb. It took me a long time to get a grasp on it. But during this uh, window of being in foster care, there was an opportunity that I had to live with my mom again. Mm. And of course, you know, when my social worker's like, Hey, Chris, you want to be with your mom? I'm like, yes. Like, Oh my gosh. Yes, please. Like something of normalcy. And, uh, I remember the car ride there. Like, Oh yeah. She's got a boyfriend now. And I'm just like, that really didn't jive with me so well. So your parents uh, had like, separated. Your parents yeah. separated during yeah. that time. Okay. Yeah. But I was like, well, I mean, I would, they really weren't together very much. Um, like after my brother and I were born, they might've lived together, but it was just, 
you know, it was, it was like one of those relationships where it's just like, why is that going on? Right. Like, that's not healthy. Like right. we all need to get things fixed. And, um, when I lived with my mom, she found herself, uh, with this guy who was very abusive and he, uh, was working on like cars. Uh, I thought he was like working on cars to like pay the bills and making money and stuff as a car mechanic. But, um, he was doing it in exchange for drugs, uh, which I later found out. And you know, it's just a weird, it was weird. I, I looked back and like, how in the world did my social worker manage to pull this off? Cause here was my, you know, my house that I had lived in before I went to foster care. The floors were pitch black from like oil and grease. The, uh, you know, there's all these really shady people. Um, you know, I, I remember seeing somebody, uh, like chopping up drugs with a razor blade on my table. And I'm like 10 years old at this time. I was, I was like, what's that? And the guy's like, he's like, go away from me. I'm just like, oh my goodness. You know, it's clearly a very dangerous like place for a child to be in. And um, eventually I had a friend who was spending the night uh, and my, I get like woken up in the middle of the night and he's like, Chris, Chris, your mom's boyfriend. Like she, he hit her. And I was just like, and I was, I was used to this kind of intense experience at this point in my life. Um, that doesn't mean like I, w- I just approach it apathetically. Like I had this rush of energy. Like I was up, if, you know, it's like 11 year old on a 10 year old on espresso. And so I walked out. Yeah, exactly. So I go up to this guy who's, in his, it's probably like in his forties or something. And with all my ten-year-old uh, might, like I just pushed this guy out of the house and locked the door. Uh, and the next thing I know is he just kicks the door down, like he kicks right through it. And I remember this just feeling of powerlessness, like I'm stuck, like there's nothing I can do to change the situation I'm in. Yeah. And I. I called social services the like a couple days after that. I told my mom, I was like, I don't want anybody doing this to you. And next thing I know, uh, social services is putting a restraining order between him and my family. And they're like, go find a, um, I will, you know, go find a place for you where you all can stay. And so we went to a friend's house down the street. My mom said to me and my brother, you know, hey, I'm gonna go call. I'm gonna go call some people at the gas station, and I'll I'll be back later. And the next thing I knew, she she never came back, and I only saw her a few times after that until she passed away. Mm. And it was that like took me from being like depressed to suicidal at a few points in my life. Um, and. Thank God I never went through or I was never successful at any of those um, uh, attempts or or thoughts, but it was very, it was just difficult reconciling all these experiences and, um, you know, the way I I could have viewed the world that would have been empowering, but I just didn't have the, the understanding or the knowledge to, or the capacity. If I had known the things I know now, oh my goodness, it would be, my life would be, uh, it'd be interesting to see how life would turn out. But I'm also deeply grateful for the fact that I've gone through these experiences because 
just the the pain um, is what led me to my my purpose, and mm-hmm. uh, it's I think it's uh, you know it's just such a like empathy is a double edged sword. You know, it can be used for good and it can be used for evil. Yeah. You know, I think that evil is our capacity to understand what it, how we suffer and then um, putting suffering onto other people. And I think good is our understanding of what benefits us and makes us feel good and then applying that to other people. And so um, it's really given me a powerful tool um, to use, in my case, for good. Like I want to serve people and everything. And so I'm grateful for it. It definitely took time to overcome the uh, the mental health issues and the uh, the beliefs that really brought me into some pretty dark places. But to answer your question from earlier, um, after the three years had ended, I ended up moving back with my dad, and that's the person that I lived with up until I joined the. Uh, West Virginia Air National Guard and the uh, U.S. Air Force. Okay, so was that like 18, 19 years yeah, old? Pretty much, yeah. yeah, pretty much 18, 19. Did you, did you go to school this whole time? Like, you were you in... Um, like college, or are you talking no, about... No, like just like, like elementary <laughs> school. Like elementary yeah. school. Yeah, school. yeah. Um, yeah, no, I went to... Uh, yeah, I was going to school during this time. There was... It was it was unusual. I mean, there was one moment where uh, I completely failed a grade uh, because I was just so missing care. I, I just felt so depressed and I didn't feel like my life mattered. Uh, I felt like it was pointless and I just was so emotionally dysregulated. Mm-hmm. And then I move up to live with uh, some family and somehow they lose my records and so I just go right into the next grade and I was you know like thank god for that yeah (laughs) but at the same same time yeah but uh, you know and it wasn't that I didn't know the information it was just I didn't apply myself at all I was just completely you know well you were too busy trying to save yourself on a daily basis and you I mean just listening to that last part of your time with your mom, I mean, right up to the bitter end, you were doing everything that you possibly could to save her. Mm. And, but she was so much in her own prison. Like just, I will keep going back to that, that she couldn't even save herself. Like, but you were even trying as a young 10 year old boy to save your mom. Like, yeah. And then when you didn't have anyone to save anymore, you felt useless. Right. It's almost yeah. like that's what gave your life purpose to that point in time was to take care of your mom. Yeah, I think uh, that's, wow, that's a really profound uh, thing you just said. I just, um, I think it definitely gave me a sense of purpose in terms of uh, as a, just a young child mm-hmm. and how I was like navigating the world. Cause I had to grow up fast. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I have my times when I played and I got to, you know, do fun things, but there was always just this introduction of, um, you know, like this, uh, emotional warfare where I just had to deal with, uh, you know, it wasn't worrying about bombs and stuff dropping, but it was this all, all of a sudden the chaos just erupting into my life. And, you know, suddenly there was some sort of, uh, 
uh, drama unfolding and something that needed to be dealt with. Yeah. I mean, we all, have you read the Bhagavad Gita? Um, I haven't read the Bhagavad Gita, but I, I've, I've a little bit of it, a little bit of it. I mean, so it's, it's a, it's a yoga philosophy book that we, I use in all of my trainings and it's, it's, it is the story of the war that goes on inside of us. Right. So we already Mm -hmm. have this like internal, I mean, you just, you just said something about the emotional warfare. I mean, and truly, um, that then created this like battleground inside of you for like the next until you decided to look at it and face it and course correct it. So when did that, when, when was the moment you say three years ago, you had like a, like a, a epic motion award winning motion picture breakdown. You said it was like something from the movie. Yeah. So I thought I would give that introduction. Yeah. And I okay. understand, I yeah. thought, and I understand that, that, that visual because Trust me when I say there's been times in my life where I was like, um, nobody would actually believe me that that just went on. It's like something out of the movies. It's like something that you can't even understand. So your journey, like, did you going into, you said the Air Force, right? I just got that right. Yeah, yeah, the Air Force. Um, How was that experience? I want to talk about that for a second. Um, Because that's like, that's like structure. That's like, you know you get up, you do your stuff. Yeah. Got to, was that, do you, did you do that out of necessity or was it something inside of you that was like survival and you needed this intense structure for yourself or did you not I even? Think, I think there is, well, it's a couple things. So I, I think in, I'm so grateful to God for this in just regards to there were certain things that just got put into my life at the right time. Yeah. In foster care, I got introduced to uh, um, Bruce Lee when I was like looking for a hero. That was the guy that I was just like, I want to be just like him. That yeah. got me into martial arts. And um, that gave me a lot of structure throughout my teen years as I worked towards my black belts in Taekwondo and Hapkido. And I think it gave me enough uh, structure just to stay on course. Mm-hmm. And then uh, joining the military, uh, you know, it's more, uh, quite frankly, it was more me wanting to impress the girl that I was uh, dating in high school. I wanted to impress her dad because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was struggling with codependency at that time in a, in a, very, uh, in a very big way. And just because I wanted some sort of, um, some, somebody to just love me, like, and, and that was something that I just wasn't aware of is kind of like you're, you know, there's there, you don't know if, um, you have no idea that something's wrong and then you, you know that there's something wrong, but you don't know what it is type deal. And I was like slowly progressing in that direction of like becoming more aware of these things that were uh, like this, the substrate of my life, like the, the undercurrent, the, the area, like the, the things that were causing me issues that were a result of my experiences when I was younger. And so um the military gave me a lot of structure and I'm grateful for that. Eventually the relationship of, you know, just it didn't work out and reasonably so, because there's things I needed to learn for myself. And 
Uh, then I, I went from the guard into the air force and ended up getting out of the military due to depression. Mm. Uh, I got medically discharged and it was, uh, this is a very humiliating ex experience for me. Cause it's like, why, what's wrong with me? I was like, there's some, you know, like, why can't I just get a grip, a grip on this? And about a year later, after I was going to college, um, I went to college. Uh, uh, I was wanting to be a pastor. So I was like heavily involved in church and my mm -hmm. faith was really important to me. Uh, and I just wanted to serve other people and help them uh, with what I thought could help them uh, with what was helping me. Uh, and my mom passed away. I was driving home Christmas Eve and I get a call and end up finding out that she just didn't make it. And it was and after that, about a month later, I, uh, I try to uh, take my life and thank God I failed. Uh, I just couldn't, like I drank a bunch of um, like sleep, sleeping uh, liquid stuff and I couldn't stomach it. And I ended up just like a, a week, a couple weeks after that, I'm like, I'm like, what's wrong with me? Like, why does this keep happening? Like, why do I, why am I up and then down? And it's like, you know, I, I, I keep uh, what we would call a parataxic distortion where it's like you, you feel some sort of, uh, you get a traumatic response, but you have no idea like what's uh, necessarily triggering it or where it's from. And I was, uh, I just felt like everything would set me off. And I started asking why. And that's when things started changing. Uh, it, that's when the seeds were planted. That's when I ran into a, a guy named, like, my friend, uh, one of my, my closest friends, he said, Chris, you got to check out this, uh, this motivational stuff. I was, like, what are you, I was like, what are you talking about? I don't motivational stuff. I don't I need a motivational stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and so I finally... Uh, finally started um listening to this i run into this guy named tony robbins like, who is this who's this guy and then i um i listened to his book awaken the giant within and he talks about this uh like the uh the 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 tri the emotional triad like how to control your state your focus your physiology and the uh, language and meaning you get things and i was like you can control your emotions and I know. I was like, what in the world? I was like, nobody told me So just in case, I mean, you guys all know Tony Robbins is my jam. Tony's my, I talk about him all the time. I leverage his work and I reference it all the time in my coaching. So here we go. Let's go, Tony. <laughs> Woo! I know. It's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, just, I just want to say, and I don't want to take away from what you're about to talk about, but when you hear people talk about things like this, um, you know, and I'm sure Chris has people that work with him who go and tell other people like, oh, Chris changed my life. I have people who work with me who are people like, Mars changed your life. Believe them. Like this stuff, it, it, it works. And I always tell people like no amount of meditation, no amount of yoga actually fixed me. I needed to go to coaching. I needed a coach. I needed someone to really teach me that I in from my mind had total control of how I chose to feel, chose to use my energy and chose to speak. 
So carry on. I just had to, <laughs> I just had to say that. I just got yeah, excited no, over it's here. Good. I, I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, it, it, through that, that study, like I, I started like learning about psychology and, uh, just a, a bunch of different modalities for in tools to, to help you gain control of your emotions. I learned about uh, meditation and uh, exercising a lot, and just doing a lot of things to take care of myself. And not, you know, it didn't help me overnight. Like it wasn't like I went from, you know, like this, uh, or like really regulated person to, you know, all of a sudden I'm completely good. But it, it started making a difference and it got better and better and better. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to LA five years ago, um, there were still things I needed to work on. I found myself into uh, a really abusive relationship. Um, I wouldn't recommend moving in with somebody that you uh, met off of Tinder right away. It's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> I know, I got to say. My husband and I, so we've been married now 21 years and we've been together 24 years. And I'm always like, thank God. I don't know if I could stomach dating the way people date these days. Although, <laughs> although I will say guys, for reference, if you go back and listen to my talk with Mariah, she did meet her husband on Tinder and they are very, very happy. So some, there are some success stories. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure like it, it's good. But for me, because of that codependency issue that I hadn't worked out yet, yeah. um, I just ignored the red flags. It's like, this is going right. to be good. I'm going to, you know, like I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to become a famous actor and model. I, I'll be able to help people. Because that's all I wanted to do it for was to get a platform to point down to people who didn't have the light on. Them. I was like, this is cool. Like, I'll have the light on me. And then I can like put the light on other people. Right. And uh, this relationship brought me to my breaking point. Like, uh, you know, it's like, is uh, this person had a lot of um, narcissistic qualities. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist, so I can't like diagnose them. But there was some qualities that were very toxic and un and unhelpful uh, for my life and my mental well being. And I was like, I was uh, working at a um, famous uh nightclub in in hollywood like west hollywood yeah and i ended up uh i i'd have like uh i meet agents and all this stuff and everything through where i worked and this one agent he's just like hey uh you know like he talked to me and like you know can you know do you like what's your story like what's going on with you and i tell him and He'd find out. He found out about like uh, I told him about my relationship, and um, he was just like, "Why don't you just leave that girl?" Like, you know, I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And I had these conversations. I'd see him every once in a while, and he's like, "You know, I could help you." And um, I was just like, uh, "No, I'm I'm good and stuff." And then I got to the point though where like I just you know, I got to that point where I was like, I don't, I just can't take this anymore. Like, I don't want to live. Like, this is so painful. And I ended up, uh, you know, reluctantly accepting this guy's help. And in my, in my mind, like, you know, when you have, you have this thought and it's like the, the bells and the, the buzzers and everything's going off in your head. It's like, 
don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Like, red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. Don't do it, don't do it. And I was just like, I was, and I guess my, my reasoning was like, you're either going to, you're either going to die uh, to yourself um, or you're going to like, you know, it was purely out of survival. Right. It took me a while to, to get to that point to realize like how desperate I was and, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that I didn't have uh, a strong community to, to lean on or the support uh, that I needed to lean on. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I had ignored the, like, it's, it's not, I don't blame myself for the things that, you know, like the evil or the wrong or the, the cruel things committed against me. Like, you know, people, you know, nobody deserves like treatment like that. But on the other hand, um, I also want to see like, in what ways did I contribute to like going down that path? Like, how could I have set myself up for success? How could have I advocated for myself and empowered myself and protected myself from those things happening? Yeah, like and, the role um, that you play, like it's really important to acknowledge the role that you play in the, in the choices and the things that you invite into your life. Yeah. I mean, it's really for one thing that I've learned and, uh, you know, I think this is invaluable for the people that are listening is that if you want to overcome trauma, if you want to overcome trauma, you want to figure out the wisdom that you can extract from the situation that you're in. So maybe you had some sort of issue where you got attacked and it was, uh, you know, you find yourself very afraid. So, you know, what, what can you learn? It's like, of course, it's not your fault that you got attacked. But, you know, would it help if you learned self-defense? Would it help if you, um, you know, if you uh, just, you, you prepared yourself so that if you ever found yourself in a situation like that again, you would be ready. And, um, you know, that's just something that I, I realized, like, through my own experiences. And I was just like, wow. Um, you know, it's like you community is so important, having the right people around you, people who can lean on you and you can lean on them in times of need. So, yeah, I mean, essentially what I found is, uh, I had this Hollywood agent, uh, who, uh, he had some, um, you know, less than pure motives. And, uh, I ended up finding myself in this situation where it, you know, first it was just you know, giving me some money that's paying for like my apartment. Like I moved into a new place, paying for my car, everything was getting paid for. I, then I had no job and I was trapped and, you know, I'm going out with this person to these, you know, parties and everything. And, uh, there's like drugs and like just as alcohol. And I had never really been in, into any of that stuff before and uh i just because of the nightclub and then into this like i really found myself in this whole world where you know i was being taken advantage of um in uh just so many different ways like this person was taking advantage of me and from my mental health my aspirations my financial health um and just so i could be some some arm candy for them and uh you know and then full experience uh and it took a lot to to overcome the the residual uh issues that flowed from that experience in my life but the the straw that broke the camel's back 
and I want to get to something good because, you know, I know it's like a lot of this stuff is really, is some, is some tough stuff to hear, but I ended up, um, going home, uh, one, like about three years ago, it's like, uh, December of 2017. And uh, I met this girl, fell in love, love at first sight experience. I've never had that happen before. And it was uh, pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, and then it gave me enough strength to be like, you know what, I need to, something has to change. Like, uh, I've got to, like, if I want something like this, I can't have what I have in my life right now. Like, I have to stand up for myself, I have to fight my way out of this thing. Um, you know, and, and it was, it was weird. Cause I was like, you know, I, I don't want to be looked at like some sugar baby or something like, you know, I'm not like, uh, that's not me. This doesn't represent me. Like I've, you know, cause there's so many different ways somebody could perceive that. Um, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm just a guy, like some actor taking advantage of the system. Um, or, you know, and you don't want to be, I guess what I'm saying is I'm sharing this stuff and I don't have control over the way people perceive me. Uh, but I do have control over the way I perceive myself, so, which is why I'm fine with sharing it now. But um, I, uh, I ended up um, coming back from home and, and coming back to, to L.A. And then I go to, to Vegas. And when I was in Vegas, I had uh, this opportunity to try something I've never Ever tried before to help me with it. I didn't just because I was in Vegas, uh, but I um, I'd done research and you know there's people saying like uh, it's like doctors and stuff are seeing like if psychedelics can help people with uh, mental illness. And I just want to you know say right now like I'm not at all condoning, condemning, advocating the use of that. Like you know please you know when it comes to this type of stuff, uh, you know speak with a doctor. Like, please speak with a doctor. Physician's the best way to go when it comes to this stuff because they're going to know the things to look for, especially when I tell you what happens next because this is where we get to the movie-like mental breakdown. <laughs> so um, I, take, uh, I take LSD and I have this, um, one of the most incredible experiences of my life. It was the most, one of the most healing and transformative things. Like it made me make sense of my um what happened with my mom, what happened with my past. Uh, the two most powerful things I got was uh, I got this epiphany that came to me, what, which uh, it almost, it, it felt like, um, it felt like God was speaking to me. It was like, you had to be wounded deeply to heal the wounded deeply. And I, um, I was just like, wow, that's, uh, that's so, that gives so much meaning to my, my pain because so much meaning to the stuff that I've gone through, like this serves a purpose. The second was um, I closed my eyes and I saw a vision of my mom and she was behind these bars and she had this light in her hands and she was reaching out between the bars and she was giving me this light. And uh, I immediately, it, I immediately knew what everything represented. It's, it's almost like waking up from a dream and you're like, I know exactly what that means. And the bars represented her vice, her addiction. And she was aware of her vice and her addiction. And she was handing this light to me, which was the best part of herself. And that, uh, 
like once I realized that, like even though, even though um, all those things that happened with my mom, um, when I realized that she was still trying to do her like best, even though she was like just uh, imprisoned by this vice, I was able to completely forgive her of everything that happened. Like it just, and that that helped me with uh, the depression that I experienced, um, and really, I would say, put the fatal blow to it uh, in the way that I don't experience like a low mood like I did um, before then. Uh, now, I certainly, I go through my lull, like not sad or grief or anything like that, but I just don't experience that. Um, and then uh, it over the course of a month after that situation, I, I, I think it was because of one feeling empowered by this uh, love that I was experiencing, this very strong emotion, uh, the, re the respite and relief that I found from the depression, and then the stressor of the experience that I was having with this agent. Um, and as I was like trying to push this person out of my life and change the dynamic of that relationship and remove them, um, I started to lose my mind. Uh, so at first I was just like, I found the truth. I got the truth. I'm like, I got the truth will set you free. Yeah. Well, you, you got to see your mom in her pure light, right? And it, it's the way you visualized her was exactly how you described her before. And then, so it's like, you knew, I mean, I always tell everybody like your, your knowledge, what you know, it's in your heart and we block yeah. it from the mind. So you had just liberated the whole, your, you turned your mind off so you could just see. So it's such a, and then when, once you are that empowered, now you're like, shit, I got to get out of this relationship and can imagine the whole, it's like he then re represented another prison in your life. Another yeah. I'm I mean, it was, it was bizarre. Like I started, I thought I was like, yeah, he, re he definitely represented a prison. I mean, yeah. it went from me feeling free to, I thought like I was a, like, I'm going to go change the world. Like I was like Tony Robin vibes. And then I was like, well, maybe I'm more than that. Maybe I'm like a prophet. And then I was like, I was like, maybe I am the truth. Like, I'm not just telling the truth. I am the truth. And I was like, maybe I, and like, for me, the moment that I, I hit that, like, you know, going back to Bible college, like connecting dots, I'm like, I'm the second coming. Like, that's it. That's the only yeah. reasonable explanation. <laughs> and and yeah. Yeah. oh my goodness, the next like two months of my life following that uh, were absolutely crazy. I was in this, um, it's still it's still even to this day something that kind of like boggles my mind i mean i was like walking around la looking like a yogi wearing like a red solver and like white pants and i'd i'd show up to like the like all different types of like places and i was uh doing weird things like staring at the sun and i didn't even know why i was doing it mm -hmm. um i don't recommend that by the way uh but uh <laughs> But I, um, I just was, uh, yeah, it's just a crazy time in my life. And that man, like he's, to me, I was like, this guy is the antichrist. Like this guy's like the, you know, he's this terrible individual. I need to get him out of my life. But, 
Um, long story short, I end up, uh, you know, I'm in my apartment uh, at this point where I'm like getting kicked out uh, because I had accidentally started a fire. Um, and during that time, I also got hospitalized twice into like two different psychiatric wards. It was just humiliating. It was really humiliating. I, it, like all the people on my social media, you know, are seeing like this kind of unusual side of me and there was no hiding it. You know, it was out there. Like I couldn't control the narrative. I couldn't control my persona. And it was deeply, de- it was the most painful thing I have ever experienced in my entire life. The girl that I, uh, that I had loved, uh, just, you know, she obviously went off in her direction and I don't, you know, it's like, I don't blame her. I like, if I was dating somebody for a month and all of a sudden they, you know, they start losing their wits. Like, I'm just like, I'm sorry. It'd be one thing if you're married to him for 20 years, right. you'd hold out for him. But you know, it's, we got to be realistic here. And so it was excruciatingly painful. And I get to towards the end, I'm in my apartment. And I just remember praying. I was like, God, there's something wrong with me. I don't know what it is, but please fix me. Like, please fix me. And um, I don't, it just, things started getting better after that. Like, it was like, I started coming to my senses. And I come out of this thing, I'm like a negative, a grand in my bank account. And then this is where I start the process. I start getting myself together. I start putting myself around the right people. For me, uh, that meant uh, going to church. Like I started um, like uh, applying the things that I learned from meditation to uh, reading wisdom literature to, um, you know, doing like uh, breath work and cold showers and, and all these different tools that I learned across the year, the years and, um, and taking those to get myself back into a, a better place. I got this guy out of my life um, completely. I, uh, you know, I got myself into working at a really nice luxury gym uh, chain here in LA. And then uh, I finished my coaching certification and then I finally I left uh, and, and, you know, now I'm doing coaching uh, full time, but it was a process that it didn't happen overnight. And, you know, it was, uh, it wasn't easy, but it was absolutely worth it. And I'm so grateful for everything that happened because even, even though it's like looking back, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a lot. Um, yeah. You know, thank God. Like, thank you for giving me the opportunity to experience uh, these uh, multidimensional um, like realms of pain so that I can communicate effectively with other people and I can say like, look, I don't just, I'm not just hearing what you're saying. I actually understand what you're saying. Yeah, your empathy well is deep. Like you have an, an endless well of empathy based on everything that, like just even hearing you and watching you speak through your story and share, it's, it is a it's abundant inside of you and it's empathy. You know, if you guys are Brene Brown fans or listen to it's empathy is the hardest, uh, connective point that we can have with people, right? Empathizing, having empathy is very challenging and you are abundant with it. And shame. The other thing that Brene is big on talking about, you know, when you were talking about your life was just out there and you couldn't control the narrative, 
you know, it's like that shame that you felt as a young boy. It was just like played out in front of everybody. Right. Yeah. You just, you, just it, you know, and, and when you tell your story from beginning to end so beautifully, like you just did, and you talk about this idea of accepting your role um, in the things, like it's not your fault that someone beat you up. It's not your fault that these things happen, but you can actually look at these choices that you made because of wanting love, because of wanting to help someone, like this deep desire that was ingrained in you. And then when we are in a depressed state, when we are feeling so alone and lost, we aren't making rational choices in the mind, right? Because mm -hmm. backside of the head is in control and we're unable to clearly see forward. That's too, that's too scary. That's too scary. Yeah. We're, we're too afraid. But Chris, what a, what a dynamic life that you've lived in such a short period of time. I mean, I've got many years on you. And just to hear like, some people choose differently, right? And it does. This all comes down to choice at the end of the day. And you know this just as good as Yeah. <laughs> and that's a hard thing to say. It's a hard thing to say because people just want to blame. We want to point the finger and say, no, this is how my life is because this is how my dad yeah. is. This is how my life was because this is how my mom was. This is how my life is because my husband is this way. But really, mm -hmm. it's all within our control. And... There's so many times along listening to you that I, um, you know, I'm grateful that you're here and I'm grateful that you weren't able to um, go through with it because you now have this ability to help so many people. And again, your, your empathy well runs deep, my friend. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you want to just say to everybody as we part ways today? Any, I mean, you know, just to talk about the time that we're in right now as a global community, mm -hmm. you said something really powerful and I want to reiterate, you're like, it doesn't just happen overnight. You've got to keep working at it. And to apply it to the grief in the world right now, the separation in the world right now, the fighting that we have, it's, it's not going to happen overnight, my friends. Like, apply these principles to yourself first so that we can then move forward and apply them to the, the greater good, right? The greater good. Yeah, yeah, I think... Uh... You know, it's, <clears throat> we'll have moments in our lives. It's, uh, I kind of liken it to when you're, you know, you go to the gym consistently or you're working out consistently and you're in good shape and then things happen and you sort of let it slide. And then you look at yourself one day in the mirror and you're like, oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden you're like, I've got to get back in the gym. I got to get on a diet. I got to do this thing. And, um, you know, it's like you push to the next level. And, uh, you know, it's definitely we're experiencing that in many ways uh, on a global scale where, you know, it's like we realize like, oh, there's some things about our character globally that's unbecoming of us. And, you know, we're called to a higher way of being. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, pain is a very revealing thing. Uh, so, 
you know, it's not, we have this tendency to moralize uh, emotions. And I think it's best uh, not even to label things as uh, emotions as negative or positive, but really pleasant and unpleasant. Um, And, you know, uh, it's uh, pain is certainly an unpleasant experience, but it's, it's very revealing and it shows you what, what matters to you, what you value, what's important. And uh, it's during those times when we experience these uh, unpleasant emotions that we, instead of, you know, running to the, the Ben and Jerry's or the Netflix um, to drown our, our senses out with something that's uh, pleasurable, it might be best to just take a moment and sit with it and really allow yourself to experience it. It's okay to not be okay. And it's also okay to be okay. You know, for yeah. me, I had a hard time being okay with being okay. Like, Hey, things are good. Like it doesn't mean that they're going to go bad. It's just they're good right now. Right. Um, and uh, the last thing is, you know, just to kind of piggyback on what you said, um, you have a choice to make on how you determine like what things mean for you. And, you know, I can choose to allow the past to be a boulder on my, on my shoulders to feel like Atlas, you know, carrying the weight of the world. Uh, or I can, you know, make it like air under my wings and to allow it to lift me and to raise me higher. And I'd rather, I think one's a much more pleasant and enjoyable experience and it's a process, uh, but as you learn to see the, the gifts that you've acquired through these challenges, whatever challenges you face in life, um, it will be such a better experience, such a more enjoyable experience than, you know, the blaming and the being the victim and the, um, you know, being overwhelmed and overcome by uh, tragedy. And that's how you triumph over tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully articulated and um to wrap this up with you just said it and i'm going to relate it back to um something that we teach in yoga from the yoga sutras is everything that's pleasure is pain and everything that's pain is pleasure Mm. and when everything is uncertain everything that is important becomes really clear to us so in living through this uncertainty in living through this time um, in sharing the story that you just shared with all of us, I hope that each one of you can find for yourself the ability to move even beyond forgiveness, but step into allowing yourself to see the choices that you're making in your life, to see your story as a powerful tool to transform and to remember, remember to look past the physical body and into the hearts of everybody because we all carry and have an immense amount of sameness and oneness inside of us. So thank you so much for just delivering such a, I mean, I keep saying beautiful, but it was really like listening to you talk. I I went on the ups and the downs and I cry I felt like crying and I was laughing with you and I could see you at all of those stages growing up and I could I could feel the the pain I could feel the joy I could feel the confusion and so thank you so much for being here with me today hey, you're welcome thank you appreciate yeah, you absolutely all right
Well, hey guys, thanks so much for joining us and listening and tuning in wherever you are listening to your podcast. Keep on listening, sharing, enjoying, and hey, follow us on social media. Instagram is msh underscore shift. You can also follow me, Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A underscore Huffines, H-O-F-F-H-E-I-N-S. You can also find us on the book and join our makeshift tapping group. It's a public open group. We share goodies and information. Um, visit my website, marshahoffines.com. Sign up for the newsletter. And we'll just keep you full of all the goodies, all of them, all the time. Talk to you soon.